Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for joining us. We have an interesting guest and discussion planned once again. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning, everyone. And we are happy to have with us Mark Scribner, Senior Transportation Policy Analyst at the Reason Foundation. Thanks for taking the time, Mark. Thank you, Fred and Alan, for having me back. Oh, great having you, Mark. Well, let's start out with some background about the Reason Foundation. Always good for the audience, Mark. It goes back uh, more than 40 years and the transportation-related work that you're doing there. Yeah, so, so Reason was, was started uh, back in the 70s, um, and the founder, Bob Poole, um, who, who many listeners uh, may be familiar with, um, has had a long interest in um, uh, emerging technologies that could be applied to infrastructure and transportation and, and to make that better. So Bob, uh, back, in the, back in the 80s, was one of the pioneers of high occupancy toll lanes and uh, public-private partnerships to uh, uh, finance infrastructure enhancements. Um, and, and those ideas have, have taken off. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, Bob is based in the US and a lot of those ideas have uh, gained a lot more uh, credence in our peer countries rather than here in America, but we're starting to see uh, more interest in these ideas uh, out of recognition that the, the status quo isn't working. And that's sort of the, the focus of, of Reason's transportation work is trying to, to you know, trying to find these, these innovative uh, solutions to these longstanding problems in, in transportation infrastructure. Well, on top in the latest edition of Alan's uh, Smart Driving Cars newsletter is a commentary that you've written titled How the Biden Administration and Congress Can Pave the Path for automated vehicles. Give us a little overview to start with. Well, you know, I, I think the, the main point I was trying to make is that the, the work that has been done uh, primarily in the executive branch over the last two administrations um, really sets the, the Biden administration up uh, to, uh, to continue that work. And, and really we're, we're reaching the point where we're seeing some of the initial uh, deployments of, of automated driving system technology. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the overarching theme and what I was trying to get at is uh, the Biden administration doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. There's been a lot of competency built in the Department of Transportation uh, over the last two administrations. Uh, so to continue that work, but also to partner with Congress. Um, Congress has tried and failed to pass comprehensive uh, federal uh, highly automated vehicle legislation. Um, there seems to be interest in, in, in trying to do that again. And I think the, uh, the Biden administration should work closely with them, uh, uh, building on what has been learned over the last several years um, and really come up with a solid uh, framework uh, that can help us move forward and, and, and hopefully usher in more and more deployments. I guess so. what we're talking about is what's needed or not needed when it comes to legislation or regulation? 
Right. Um, and that is a, that's a tricky and often unsatisfactory uh, area for folks because the kind of information that we need to do the, the sorts of uh, regulating that we're accustomed uh, to uh, 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 the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, doing um, is uh, performance standards, technical standards. Those technical standards, by and large, are under development. They're not ripe for regulatory incorporation. And even once they are ripe for regulatory incorporation, so say the SAE International puts out another standard or some other standard setting body puts out a technical standard, um, it's still going to take time to go through the rulemaking process, perhaps uh, eight to 10 years. So there's going to be this, this period, this interim period, where we can't competently regulate in the same way that we that, that NHTSA sets minimum performance standards uh, for conventional vehicles. So what do we do then is, is, is the real interesting question. And I think that part of that is trying to use the existing regulatory tools that NHTSA has, namely the exemption process to try to collect as much of that information that they, that they need to build uh, a, a safety regulatory framework around these technologies. So it's, that's, I, I guess, the, the, that's the main point of, of, of what I'm trying to get at here is that there is going to be this, this, this interim period where we can't do things. Like I, you hear activist groups sometimes call for a vision test, and then you ask them, what does the vision test mean? And they say, well, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't really know. And what they're really talking about, if you take them at, at face value, is uh, a, a technical standard and a standardized test procedure to uh, verify compliance. And we don't have those tools yet. You know, certainly for whatever my opinion matters in this, uh, you know, I think I, I agree with Mark. We made, we made a lot of progress over the last few administrations, especially near the end of the the two administrations ago, Obama and and really through um, through the Trump administration, we really evolved. We evolved from a situation in which, at least at the beginning of the Obama administration, not to maybe you'll we'll argue about this, Mark, but you know the thought was that uh, we could have things out there in the infrastructure that would tell all of us exactly what the hell to do and monitor all of us, and we'd all be all so happy and go lucky and all safe and so on. And and I think the the real the realization of the technology has been is that my goodness we're not going to do this with communications or at least we can't get started with communications because because the start is at the end you got to have it to do it <laughs> and you can't evolve it so you know how the hell do we do that with you know 340 million people in the U.S. trying to move around I mean it's just like goofy so uh, we said, okay, we're going to have it. We're going to have our vehicles do it one at a time and basically uh, drive defensively out there so they don't go out there and just crash. And I think that's been the, the evolution. But, the, but of course, the, the policy problem is the set regulation. You, you've got to you've got to know your unknowns <laughs> and we don't know our unknowns and we've got to figure out our unknowns and how else do you figure out your unknowns? But, the, you know, put your toe in the water to see if it's cold or, you know, you, before you jump in and all these things, you know, that's the practical nature. I think, right. I, we're, we're on common ground on this, right? Um, yeah, I think so. And you, and you raise a, a really good point about the, the past 
focus on on smart infrastructure and obviously there's still interest in that but but you know we had the george hw bush administration clinton administration george w bush administration and the beginning of the obama administration thinking that that was the future and then you're right it was during the obama administration where you started to see this this shift and i think a lot of it has to do with the practical realities of our of our transportation infrastructure networks we have you know we, we you know i i don't buy into the kind of pervasive um, claim that we have this this crumble, crumbling infrastructure crisis but we do have real needs of of doing the kind of the traditional things of of maintaining the dumb infrastructure of 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 filling potholes uh, you know, you can look at the maintenance backlogs that we have across the country, uh, up and down our surface transportation networks, and then you you're, you start thinking it's like, well, we're going to put a new smart infrastructure obligation on top of these road agencies now. I mean, that doesn't seem you know that seems very unrealistic that they're going to uh, sort of port on another network on top of the existing network when they still haven't gotten. Uh, a handle on the the long term needs uh, of of say reconstruction of the interstate over the next twenty years estimated to cost at least a trillion dollars. Yeah, no so one has figured out how to pay for that, and that's they're just talking about the the kinds of uh, you know infrastructure that was being built uh, over the last fifty years. I mean, obviously there's some improvements in in pavement technology and in engineering, but but you know th- there isn't that much different there, and we're still having trouble figuring out how to deal with that issue. So putting this other smart infrastructure issue on top of that, I think just seemed like a really, really heavy lift. Um, and you're, you're right. We saw this, you know, this, this automation technology come around where uh, we could perhaps get these benefits without doing a major new infrastructure rollout. And I think that offers a lot of appeal to, you know, both the, the auto companies uh, who, who would make this stuff and have to depend on a smart infrastructure, but also the infrastructure managers um, who are really struggling, at, you know, realistically, can we build out something like this when we have all these other unmet needs? I'll, I'll go even farther. Look, it, you know, fill the potholes, put paint out there, put signs that we can read so that we can use them better. Right now, we can... Everybody out there could, I mean, how many times are we out there? Where in the hell are the lines on the road? I can't see them. I mean, come on, put some paint out there. I can't read the signs for me to do, for all of us to do that are out there now. That can have instantaneous value. But for some reason, somebody thought, oh, my goodness, that isn't who knows what enough. It isn't STEM enough or what to do or what to do or, or, or you know, um, um, whatever is smart city i mean come on you know and do that and then and guess what if you do that then maybe we can make the sensors that have the one vehicle go out there and also be able to read them the way we read them no i mean (laughs) go more yeah yeah that's that's a really good point i mean the you know we saw with with during the obama administration the proposed rule on vehicle to vehicle communications that came out of nitsa and that was subsequently shelved by uh, uh, the Trump administration. Um, if you looked, I mean, the the, the optimistic, overly optimistic um, regulatory impact analysis, the co- sort of cost benefit analysis of that rule said that we would not break even on costs and benefits. So it would be, not be net positive until at least eight years after the mandate 
went into effect. And you're absolutely right. We can do things right now that provide immediate benefits uh, to road users. And so I think that that is a that one that's you, we can actually start realizing the, these 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 very real benefits. Um, but two, I think that makes it an easier sell for politician because it's very hard, uh, as we've seen in other debates, uh, for politicians to go out and say, well, we need to do this now. Uh, so we might benefit a decade or decades from now. I mean, that's not, you know, that doesn't work well in politics. Let's see. It doesn't work well in Wall Street either. You know, you're sitting <laughs> it doesn't there work well quarterly. You know, you go to Washington, it's every two yearly, you know, you start telling me eight, that's beyond any Senate. Oh, cut well, it out. There, there is supposedly <laughs> uh, uh, being worked on a, a huge infrastructure bill that, that's going to be introduced at, at some point. Is there anything that you would want to see in there that's related to this technology? Well, I think the big thing that Congress can do right now, they should have done it a few years ago, but is to add a new federal motor vehicle safety standard exemption category for automated vehicles and for, for automated driving system equipped vehicles. Um, right now, You've got under uh, most of the uh, exemption categories. So if a manufacturer wants, has a non-compliant vehicle or vehicle technology and wants to sell it to consumers or, or deploy it into interstate commerce, it has to go to NHTSA and go through this process of, of obtaining an exemption. And once they achieve that exemption, though, under most of these categories, they can only, they can only produce up to uh, 2,500 vehicles per year over a two-year period, and then there's an optional uh, uh, or a potential two-year renewal. So you're talking per manufacturer, 10,000 vehicles over four years if they get the renewal um, after they obtain the, uh, the original exemption. That's not, that's not helpful if we're trying to scale in along the lines of what Neuro, say, has su suggested in their report last year that we may need uh, by 2030 to meet demand for automated parcel delivery of, of their little, you know, R, R, RX2 or R2X pod, pod low-speed vehicles, electric vehicles, uh, uh, 250,000 to 2 million by 2030 is what they had in their, their report. And we're, we can't get there under the current exemption regime. So, you know, I, I recommend that Congress create a new exemption category uh, that allows manufacturers to produce at least 100,000 uh, uh, vehicles per year under their uh, this new exemption category. And, uh, you know, I, I think they, they should keep, uh, uh, manufacturers should have to uh, demonstrate that their vehicles would meet an equivalent level of safety or better, uh, as most exemption categories currently do. I think that's important. But here's, I think, the other thing that a lot of people have missed in the exemption debate as it's played out in, in Washington is that, uh, and, and if you've seen the recent things that NHTSA has been doing, you can sort of understand where, where, where this is going. It's that that data that manufacturers would provide to NHTSA in order to obtain a, uh, an exemption that is exactly the type of information NHTSA would want to use to develop uh, regulatory, uh, actual rules, actual federal motor vehicle safety standards down the line. So, you know, not only would this uh, potentially get these, these safer vehicles, if they are demonstrated to be safer, out to consumers more rapidly, uh, NHTSA can take that information that they use to grant that exemption 
and, and, and start working on these longer term rulemaking projects that ultimately we'll need if we want to integrate this technology into the, the automotive safety and performance regulatory ecosystem. So, you know, that is an, the fact that this is, this is a great information collection tool, the exemption process for NHTSA, um, should not be ignored uh, in, in this debate. Okay, Mark, you've just told us the benefit associated with extending uh, uh, this, okay? So with everything, there's benefit and there's risk. Where's the risk? I, I, don't, I don't see any risk. Uh, neuro would still have to, you know, if anything happens, they're, they're at fault, they're responsible, they'd have to pick up the tab. Um, NHTSA can sit there and watch them to see if they're going over the edge or not going over the edge and keep it from becoming a total disaster, whatever. What's the cost? Why isn't this just not a no brainer? <laughs> well, you know, another thing I, uh, another point I made in the, um, the, the report and then in that, that, uh, uh, the commentary, uh, was that, uh, it's going to be tricky for politicians to avoid collateral policy damage, not because, um, I, I, not because there aren't uh, some very clear answers to an admittedly limited number of, of questions on this right now, but because we have these legacy special interest groups that have all sorts of competing biases um, that make it impossible to, to, to meet all of their demands. Um, so we see this from a variety of groups. We saw this is, this is why Congress's previous attempt at this failed. You had, uh, you had a variety of special interests who wanted favors uh, to come out of this bill for them that don't really make sense in the straightforward policy discussion of this, but they wanted to bolt on their pet projects. And that I think is a very real risk. The kind of the sausage making of Washington uh, does not give me a ton of confidence uh, that they can get this done. Um, but if they recognize that we have the, we know there are these discrete issues that we have enough information on to make, I think, wise decisions. If they stay focused, they can do it. But if they, if they go down the path where they're going to try to, you know, uh, uh, make deals with, with every lobbyist in town, you know, then this 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 may not go so well. Um, now, I think NHTSA is more immune to that. The the executive branch is is a bit more immune to that than Congress. Um, so, and it's possible that NHTSA can do a lot of this on its own. But it would be nice if we could get the you know the legislative and executive branches on the same board cooperating on this rather than uh, leaving it all uh, to the, the devices of the, of the, of the well-meaning, but you know, sometimes you know, they need some, some, some assistance uh, folks in the executive branch. Yeah, but that sausage making exists with every piece of legislation. It's a constant, is it, is it, more, is it more intense here? I mean, who's out there saying that you know, a neuro vehicle is something I've taken away my market share because I, I have a push cart or something I, you know, and, and protect my push cart. Is that, is that where it's coming from? Well, hey, again, I'm not a policy guy, so I'm, I'm an engineer, you know, I do numbers. Well, one thing you have advocated, Alan, in the past is the need for perhaps a, a separate, a new agency 
Yeah, well, I, we, we might get to that one, but that's, I mean, then, oh my goodness, then you then you do have all the vested interests in the existing agencies and power redistribution and 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 all that stuff. I, I you know, yeah, yes, I throw that one out there, but I realize that there's nothing but minefields on that one. But uh, Mark, uh, what about it? Well, I, I think I think NHTSA is capable of doing this. And I think long term, um, and, and this wouldn't happen anytime soon, mainly because you can't write uh, ADS specific Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards right now. Um, but the the uh, the the auto, some of the automakers have suggested creating a new um uh, 600 series of federal motor vehicle safety standards. And then uh, presumably you'd have a, you'd have a dedicated office at NHTSA uh, to deal with those issues. Now that's not ready for prime time and it won't be anytime soon, but that might be the, you know, that might be the kind of compromise. Cause you, you know, as, as you just said, what, if we, if we create a new modal administration uh, within the department of transportation um, that could make it more uh, uh, likely that it would be captured by, by the, uh, folks who are interested in this specific technology. Um, but also, I, I just, I'm not sure the track record of, of, of standing up these modal administrations really shows that there's a ton of benefit. You know, I don't know how much greater benefit we get from having a federal motor carrier safety administration versus the old uh, federal highway administration um, uh, sort of freight uh, truck uh, safety office. So, you know, but, but maybe, that, but maybe that, having an administrator focused on that would, would, would deliver better results. I'm just not, I, I don't see, you know, automatic benefits anyway from going down that path and and you know this the uh, uh, kind of NHTSA approach uh in the future when we actually have the technical standards and standardized test procedures um that might make more sense but I think you know we have problems with conflicts in existing federal motor vehicle safety standards uh right now that NHTSA should be and they are working on updating um so that might be at least I think the near-term focus should be on on some of those legacy issues. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Federal Motor Carrier, I mean, we have public and private, you know, corporate and, 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 and all of us. So, you know, that's probably was the most of the initiative. You, gotta, you have to deal with the folks that are trying to make money out there with this thing as opposed to just getting pleasure and so on. So that's probably it. You know, FAA dealing with airplanes rather than cars or pipelines or railroads or, you know, there are arguments there. I've sort of just thrown out in the past that with respect to NHTSA in terms of breaking itself up, you know, the, the safety from NHTSA uh, leading up to this point has been, has been on crash mitigation, on being able to survive the crash, uh, you know, less, less harm to us as individual, which is really good. I mean, you know, steering wheels used to go through your chest. I mean, you know, we had, we had cigarette lighters that went through your eye if you hit them, you know, your, I mean, you, you know, know, your uh, gas and, tank might blow up. Uh, and your gas tank might blow up. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's really crash mitiga mitigation, whereas the automation, I've always looked at it as forget mitigation, it's crash avoidance. 
okay? You should not find, the system should not let you get into a position in which you cause the crash. You're responsible. I shouldn't be able to misbehave and tailgate you. I shouldn't be able to be able to cross the double line when there's a truck coming right at me. Cross the double line, no truck coming at me. Who cares? But, you know, truck coming at me, boom, you know, of course. Um, so, so, you know, so there is to me a clear, a clear different one would of course like to not only avoid, you'd like to mitigate if it happens, if God came in here, as I'd like to say, dropped a meteorite out of the sky in front of you, physics can't help, boom, you know, you, you die, unfortunately, but it's God's fault. So we can blame her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're, and you're absolutely right that, you know, NHTSA has, fo I mean, they have the, I mean, the 100 series, they've got the, 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 like their current, their, what they call their crash avoidance regulations. I mean, those are things like, you know, it's like, it's like lighting and mirrors. It's to, it's to, it's to, it's all assisting the driver. And yeah. what we're talking about here is actually replacing drivers. And, and you're absolutely right. That is something fundamentally different than, you know, what the current, 100 series crash avoidance regulations do what the 200 series crash worthiness regulations do and then the 300 series post crash uh, survivability regulations do. Um, so, you know, and that's, I, I think, I believe that's why the, the automakers or some of the automakers suggested creating that 600 series, uh, because we are talking about something very different than what NHTSA has done in the past. Um, but like I said, I think that, you know, we, we, we face these legacy issues, conflicts and regulation. When they did the audit a few years ago, when uh, Volpe did the audit, almost half of FMVSS, uh, especially if you're talking new novel, novel vehicle designs, potentially prevent conflicts with, with self-certifying to NHTSA's current 73 Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. So updating those uh, in a way that allows this technology to be compliant I think is is there you know that's that's why we saw the the final rule that is currently on ice under the regulatory freeze that happens when administrations change, um, uh, but the the update to the um, those crash worthiness standards that was the the final the draft final rule came out early last month and then got you know was caught up in the the freeze but hopefully that comes out because that I think is exactly the kind of work that that NHTSA should be done. And, and here's, we already have it, that, that rule is fully baked. Um, so, you know, that, that could be an early win for the, for the new administration to get that off their plates and start looking at, at these other potential conflicts and sort of move methodically through uh, the, the existing regulations and find that. I mean, we need to do the same thing at the states and some states have, have audited their motor vehicle codes looking for these conflicts. The problem is the states, <laughs> The, even the states that have done that haven't gotten around to updating their motor vehicle codes. So I think that is what, you know, needs to happen. And we have enough information, I think, where we can make a lot of those decisions right now. Uh, and then, you know, in the future, the kinds of things that you were talking about, uh, where we would, you know, potentially if we have a new modal administration that does this, or if it's within NHTSA to actually come up with ADS specific federal motor vehicle safety standards, um, hopefully in the future, uh, and hopefully sooner rather than later, we have that kind of information to do that. But I think there's plenty of work in just housekeeping uh, that can be done right now, or at least started right now. 
We'll be back with more, but first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, look for a white paper. It's titled The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, as you may know, can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a, on a particular category of stocks. The site, again, is MOTOETF.com. We are back, and Alan, some of the other headlines from the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter. Salika Talbot has a piece in Forbes titled, Driving Jobs, the Future of Autonomous Trucking. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, Sheila does a, does a good job there. And in fact, you know, she's been uh, uh, looking at this issue with respect to uh, the uh, motor carrier industry and so on. And I think, and she points out that, in fact, you know, the, the folks that think that all of a sudden all the jobs are going to disappear. In fact, she makes good arguments to say, no, this is job creation. I mean, uh, what I say to my students is if you look at Excel, the spreadsheet, how many MBAs did that, uh, you know, unemploy? Because how was that done in the 50s? You know, you had these room full of MBAs with their green eye shades and their crank calculators and their whatever ledgers putting together spreadsheets. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, how many... But somehow the MBAs all found jobs and much better jobs and we moved on. So, you know, I don't know if the parallel is completely the same, but, but of course, I mean, what we've, we have found the technology, well, yes, it, it, it moves people around and there are dislocations and some people need to be reeducated. And of course, with all this technology, we also have to provide the funds and the abilities to, to, to have people uh, change and, and evolve in the workforce uh, and, and do that. But, uh, but in a sense, you know, this is not going to put a bunch of people in the un unemployment line, or it should not, not if we do it well. Hey, if we don't do it well, of course, and anytime we don't do things well, then of course. But so I, I, that's why, I've, you know, I've included her, her comments there. And in the meantime, as you've often pointed out, it, the technology improves the lifestyles of, of the drivers oh, that are yeah. out there today. Oh, well, to me, that's that's the key here. I mean, I, I keep thinking about, about the, the truck driver, you know, 10 hours a day sitting there going down the road, absolutely having the focus to keep this thing between two white lines. And, and, and if you, you know, as I like to say, scratch your butt or something like that, you die because you, I mean, they need help. Well, the news reports they, they, are just they, full they, of all the all the pictures today of of the the uh, all of the big accidents that you see from the from the snow and the ice that is uh, okay, gripping the country. And of course, you know, it's that, always me, the trucks that you see. To 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 me, that you know, that's that's where this technology. We we have not spent enough time on this to do, have this technology. It shouldn't just warn us. It should it should keep us from misbehaving or somehow, you know, not having a clue. And you, you shouldn't be able to speed on ice. The, 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 look, sensors that know what the coefficient of friction is between your wheels and the road surface 
are out there. If you want to exchange information from folks, every time my little light comes on that my wheels slip, I should put out a little broadcast with a GPS location of where I am so that the cars behind us could hear it. What would that take? Absolutely nothing, okay? Or put up a sign or whatever and, and, and do that so that in case I'm clueless, it keeps me from getting in trouble. I mean, why isn't that the focus of the, te of the technology? And of course, I've, I've said way too often that, you know, the crashes, the 90 some percent of the crashes aren't because we make mistakes. Okay, it's, be it's because we misbehave. We somehow, you know, or I don't know, we, uh, for, we're humans, you know? <laughs> I mean, Mark and, and you, Fred, are, are perfect. I understand. <laughs> but me, uh, Just Mark. you know, uh, whatever, I'm out there. Who knows what? You know, I tailgate. I, you know, cross, don't let me tailgate. What the heck's it take to know that you're tailgating? I mean, come on. Oh, my privacy and my freedom. I don't know. I mean, that, that, to me, that, that's the, the Mark thoughts on that. Well, I think the, you know, I think that this opens the door to a lot of interesting questions. You're, and you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I or at least I agree with you that people should that people that the people who misbehave and and you're right. And that's why I always try to take care to say when I when we discuss the, you know the the NHTSA reports that have found you know the ninety four percent error and misbehavior. Uh, and, and, you know, you got to emphasize because, yeah, a lot of it is people doing things that they ought not to be doing and they, they should know better. Um, and and you, I agree with you that people should be, um, people should face consequences uh, for their bad behavior, uh, you know, especially- Or be bailed out or be, or be, you know, say, cool, you really don't need to go that fast, really? I mean, right. Yeah. Well, and to tie it back to, to Salika's piece, and I think it, she did a great job of telling, you know, I, we see all of these sort of these speculative, very pessimistic pieces on the workforce impacts, but it's it's not at all clear that the, the, uh, things are going to be bad. Uh, they could be quite good, as she as she uh, did a great job pointing out. Um, but, you know, like it, it's like with when people complain about trucks what is, on the highway, what do they usually talk about? They go too slow. It's not that, you know, that's the, you know, and I, and I admit when I get behind, uh, you know, uh, some, some, some big rigs on the interstates, uh, I like to go a bit faster than, than most of them. But, you know, that's my, that should be on me. And, and we shouldn't be incentivizing that behavior. And uh, but you you at the at the end there, Alan, you raised a really good point where I think there may be a tension between incentivizing good behavior on the roads for as long as we continue to have human drivers anyway. Um, that uh, uh, and then once the tech takes over, um, and some of these concerns about about privacy. Uh, and things like that, because, you know, if, if, if the if the data that we are collecting um, somehow can't be used uh, to incentivize good behavior, you're you're, you're potentially short circuiting what could be a very valuable uh, uh, product of this of this technological development. Um, so I think we got to be we have to balance these things for sure. But we shouldn't go in and say that, um, you know, if you're out there on a public road, 
that you have this, this absolute right to do whatever you want. Um, and that too often we see that, I, I think that's a, I think that's a bit of a, um, uh, you know, maybe that's a bit too strong for what, what advocates of, of, of that, something approaching that position actually say, but that's been my sense is that, is that, uh, you know, too often that there, there, there's assumed to be a, a right to do all sorts of bad things on the roads when, you know, I, I think there's a, a good case to be made that we should be trying to disincentivize and deter bad behavior. Yeah, we, we, we should. We, we have to do it well also. I mean, I, I point out the crossing of the double lines. The, the system should know that you're crossing a double line, of course. It should also know whether or not there's something coming down the other way. Okay. And if there's nothing coming down the other lane, then, you know, no harm, no foul. Okay. Let play go on. Okay. Maybe I have a good read. Who knows? I mean, why sit there? You got to, why be so brutal about the enforcement? Okay. In times when it's, when, who doesn't really matter. Okay. But when it does matter, darn it, the darn thing should come in there and say, yo, relax. Okay, so how to do that well? Of course, there's well, oh my goodness, and as, as we've seen, in, okay, as uh, we've seen in in automated traffic enforcement and the debate that's happened around that over the years. I mean, sure. that is, you know, and this sort of uh, it got some new attention this last summer when uh, you know we had a lot of a lot of people talking about um, racial disparities in in policing and traffic enforcement. And in principle, automated traffic enforcement would be a great way to eliminate or at least at the very least reduce that 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 kind of racial bias that was that was identified there. But you often see localities um, completely blow their credibility with their constituents uh, uh, by trying to maximize revenue rather than to deter bad behavior. So you've got to make sure that you're not turning these types of solutions that offer a lot of promise into just uh, you know, a computerized speed trap. Um, so how to get that right? Tough Not one. easy. I mean, I, I, with respect to the speed traps, I always like what, what England did with respect to their, what they call, uh, I guess, uh, black zones or something like that. They publicize the fact that up ahead, that they have a speed camera. They tell you. They tell, why? Because there's a reason for the speed camera. You should slow down. Otherwise, you're going to die probably is the reason. Not that they're out there collecting dollars associated with getting you, oh, you went over the speed limit. Okay, so, you know, that's, to me, I would call a much more mature approach to doing that, as you ex very well pointed out, and what you said, I mean, we, we, we have to do these things well, of course, well is tough to do, though, but and we, <laughs> that's why we have the discussions, right, uh, you know. Well, a, a couple I, of other quick headlines yeah, to yeah, touch yeah. on, Alan, yeah. uh, the Waymo, uh, well, they're not coming to Trenton just yet, but they are oh. going to test robo-taxis in San Francisco. This is pretty limited, though. Yeah, well, I mean, they're doing what what, uh, what Uber did for a while and what uh, a lot of other folks did. They're, they are just testing. They are not there operating. And I guess I'm, I'm kind of uh, in my comment, I say, you know, where are you testing you know, if you're testing where there's good Mooney and 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 um, and the Bart service, then what are you doing? Provide another alternative for those who could very well pay for 
for Uber and tip the Uber driver really well? Or are you in places in San Francisco in which your form of mobility could really improve the quality of life for, folk, for folks who don't have good mobility? So I'm, you know, the question is we're in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, and also I'm not necessarily a fan of the, the last mile stuff for rich folks, uh, you know, who could afford an Uber. I'm more interested in, in providing mobility for the drivers. To me, the value of the driver is to provide mobility for folks who don't have good mobility now, and you can do it affordably. That should be the focus. And hopefully that's what Waymo does have as a focus and why I want to invite them to Trenton because that's where a lot of folks like that, or there are a lot of Trenton, Trentons in this world. There are parts of San Francisco that are like Trenton. And I hope that's where they're doing it. But anyway, that's uh, that's my little. I, I, th I think they know. I think they know about your invite. <laughs> I know. I mean, I've made it. I, well, I guess uh, you know, uh, whatever. Um, yeah. Well, one one thing you are a fan of, I know, is uh, Super Cruise from from GM, and they're putting it in uh, new versions of the Chevy Bolt the uh, compact SUV, the new ones at 250 miles of range, $32,000 price tag. Uh, so Super Cruise is going to be included, but it doesn't have GM's new Ultium battery technology. Well, I guess they're doing some things and, and uh, you know, why don't they make it available in Chevys? Why don't they just put it in Chevys? How much does it really cost them? I mean, how about Buicks? How about an article? Um, come on, GM. Um, it really is a, a good system. Why? Unfortunately, because you're looking at the driver and making sure that the driver is engaged. And if the driver's not engaged, then you, you take away the toys, which unfortunately is maybe, you know, a little bit too heavy handed. But in a sense, if, if we're going to misbehave with this thing, we should have our toys taken away from us. Ford has dissolved its roughly 7.5% stake in Velodyne LiDAR. Uh, you point out that there may be a reason for that, an acquisition they'd made before. Well, they, they bought uh, Princeton Lightwave um, and, uh, you know, the uh, competing LiDAR manufacturer and so on. So I, I guess, you know, I don't know. They must think that Princeton Lightwave is doing a good job and... I, who knows? I don't know. But Velodyne's done a great job. They, they basically, they're the, they're the, the ones that brought this technology to us in, in the DARPA <coughs> uh, challenges. And, um, you know, I'm sure Velodyne will continue to do well. And what's going on with the uh, automobile manufacturers? It, it's really in high gear now. Jaguar announcing it will be all electric by 2025, four years from now. Land Rover soon after. These companies are, are seem to be moving really fast. Yeah, and Ford said, I think today that you know by 2030 in Europe. I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Um, but unfortunately, my comment in there is that uh, I don't know if anybody in Texas is going to buy one. You know what? We'll have to wait and see. I mean, you know, Texas just went through. Maybe they they all have short memory and went through. Oh my goodness, uh, we we don't got no electricity, and so we ain't going to be able to go anywhere. I guess. I, I, well, the gas stations are pretty much out of business too if they don't have power. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't pump. You got to need the. I guess so. I don't know. Maybe, whatever. I'm that. I just. 
we have to do something about our electric grid if we're really going to do this, okay? And how the power is produced and that will charge these where, electric vehicles. Where, where it's going to come from, because this is all marginal power. And right now, marginal power comes from coal. And until we you know, close all the coal plants, it's going to continue to co come from coal. And you know, and so on and so forth. So we, you know, I don't want to go there. I mean, that's just talk about just making sausage. <laughs> that's a tough one, Mark. Right? We won't get dragged into that one. Yeah, unfortunately, I I, I know next to nothing on on the energy policy, so I can stay I can stay out of this. Oh, I know next to nothing too. So, but I don't stay out of it. So. All I know about energy is I like it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Hey, energy's been good, you know, since forever, for 50 <laughs> million years of yeah. human existence or whatever, energy's always been good. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, energy's good. Well, when you, Mark, have it, we, when you have it where you want it, okay? Yeah. Uh, that's the, the If the lights come on, the heat comes on, that's very, very good. So. And if I'm moving, I need something to keep me moving. So I got to yeah. get it there or I got to carry it with me or hope I ate enough so that my, my feet can continue to go one ahead of the other one so I can move with my leg. You know, well, our, yeah, our thoughts not, are, are with <laughs> uh, all the people who are, are suffering through all of this. It's, it's just terrible. Yeah, in Texas. In Texas, yeah, no, especially. It's, it's Texas, but, you know, we can go to Cancun. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> That's exactly. Ted Cruz. He's a Princeton graduate. Oh my goodness. That's unfortunate. Well, Mark, we really, we, I'm going to get oh, out of this geez. one. Mark, I'm we really want to thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, oh, really thank terrific. you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Fred and Alan. It was a great time. <laughs> and there's anyway. more information on the Reason Foundation at reason.org, O R G. Thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker. Amazon has us in their podcasts. SoundCloud and more. Ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching and please stay safe. Stay safe. Uh, get your, your your vaccine if you're if you're eligible. Don't forget to do that. Don't pop out. And uh, Mark, uh, so great to have you. <laughs>